Keep your Bibles open, please, and uh, we'll walk through this passage together as we're working through the book of Philippians. And uh, also, if you would, you'll want to mark uh, Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at a couple of verses in Romans 6 uh, as we meditate and study this passage together. Paul's life verse, which is our Uh, I'm taking that as verse 21, our treasure verse for this month, will be our focus for today's sermon. So let's uh, pause for just a minute and ask the Lord to help us today. Father, we we do rejoice today um, over the fact that there has been an event that we now sing about Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you, Father, that the words that were prophesied were not just good-feeling words, but they were actual, prophetic, promised words that actually, literally came true 2,000 years ago when the Son of Glory, your only begotten Son, took on our flesh and came into this world in order to redeem us from our sin. Christmas truly is the greatest news of all. And because of Christmas, Lord, because we have this good news that we can be forgiven and cleansed and made new and made right with our Creator and and given hope and joy and promise for this life and hope and certainty for the life to come. That we find out, Lord, that, that, that truly life is in Christ and in Christ alone. So help us, Father, as we study this uh, passage together today that Paul's life verse, as we're calling it, would become our life verse, that we would see that truly everything about life, real life, true living, is actually truly and abundantly found in Christ. Lord, would you do that great work in us that we might be a joyful, different people. Accomplish your will, we ask it in Christ's name, amen. So a life verse. A life verse, as you know, is is a verse of Scripture that that sort of captures you. It, it, It kind of helps define what faith in Christ is. It provides, it kind of defines your Christian life, your new life in Christ. It, it kind of gives you guidance throughout your life in Christ. It inspires you as a believer to continue to grow in Christ and look to Christ. Personally, my, my life verse is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, yet it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
as a really young believer, brand new in the Lord, I came across this verse pretty early in my Christian life, and it just stuck with me. It, it helped me understand what this transformation in Christ was all about, what this new life in Christ was to be about. And so I, I kind of made it my own. I made it my life verse. It's been that way throughout my whole journey with Christ. I always go back to Galatians 2.20. Now, I don't know if this was what Paul would call his life verse or not. I don't know if Paul would, would say, you know, out of all the letters that I wrote to all the churches, this is my favorite verse. But he does, he does speak of his life, and he does speak of Christ in this verse. So, for our purposes, we'll call it Paul's, Paul's life verse. And we're going to focus our attention this morning particularly on the first part of that verse. For to me, to live is Christ. We might could rephrase it this way. As far as I am concerned, real life, real living, knowing what life is really about is Christ. That is, knowing Christ, following Christ, loving Christ. Paul has really captured the teaching of Christ in this first part of the verse. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life, the life. There is, there is a singular life that is only to be found in Christ. Christ went on to say in, in another place, I am the resurrection and the life. Christ also said in another place, I have come that, in other words, Christmas, I, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So Paul has really summarized the Christian life in these words when he says, for to me... To live is Christ. Now, as believers in Christ, that, that summary of our new life in Christ, it, it, it powerfully resonates in, in our hearts. It, it captures perfectly what our desire is. If we are truly in Christ, that is our desire, that, that our life would be centered on Christ, would be grounded in Christ, would be for Christ. That Christ would, would be everything. That's exactly how we feel. We, we, we could say Paul's life verse is exactly how we, how we feel what our desire is as a believer in the Lord. We know that Christ is our everything. And yet, while we would affirm strongly this as the desire of our hearts, we, we often miss the mark, don't we? We, we often miss the mark in the practical, day-to-day, distracted, obstacle-ridden life as we live it. Somehow it doesn't work out that way in, in the way that we react and the way that we plan and the things that we say and, 
in the in our aspirations and in, in in the in the things that we're doing, and then we and then we stop and think, no, 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 to live is Christ. So the question for us this morning is. How can we follow Paul's example here truly in our living, not just in the desire of the new heart that Christ has given us, but in this new life that we have been given? How can we make his life verse our testimony so that to live as Christ is not just a desire that we hold in our heart, but a testimony that is expressed in our lives that others see Christ in us. Others see that our life is grounded in Christ. It's all about Christ. How can we reorient our hearts so that these words become our witness? And I believe the answer is found in the context around these words. What Paul says right before this verse and what Paul says right after this verse, I believe explains what he means when he's saying, for to me to live is Christ. So we're gonna, we'll ask the question then by looking at this passage that we've heard read this morning, how to approach life so that to us to live is Christ. Here's the first thing that we can see that, that Paul was definitely doing in his journey with the Lord. He was living with reliance upon Christ. Paul was living with reliance upon Christ. So he says in verse 19, he knows that this will turn out for my deliverance. And the this to which he refers is, is in verse 18. Paul is rejoicing that the gospel is being proclaimed. It might be by friend and it might be by foe, but the gospel is being proclaimed. It is spreading. People are hearing the news of Christmas, that Christ has come. He is the Savior. Your sins can be forgiven in him. Give your life to Christ. Be made new. Be reconciled to God. The gospel is going forward. And so that's why Paul says, it, uh, he, he says he rejoices twice in, in, in verse 18. The first time he says it, he's talking about what he just said. That whether friend or foe, the gospel is being proclaimed in this, in that, he says, I rejoice. And then the second time he says, I rejoice, he's talking about what he's getting ready to say. So he says, yes, and I will rejoice, verse 19 Four. So I'm rejoicing for two reasons. Number one, the gospel is going forward. It doesn't matter if it's by friend or foe. People that want to, people that love me, or people that want to hurt me. They're preaching the gospel. People are hearing. That means people will be saved. So in that, I rejoice, and I'm also going to rejoice. Verse 19. For I know. So. Paul is convinced in his heart that there's, there's going to be one implication of this widespread gospel proclamation. Now, the enemies of Paul must have thought, because they were doing this not out of love, right? But he says, thinking to, in verse 17, thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They, they think that as the gospel just continues to 
as this message continues to spread and it doesn't stop with Paul's imprisonment, then Rome will be forced to kill Paul. But Paul knows the gospel is unstoppable and and maybe Rome also knows if they make a martyr of Paul now, well, the gospel will just flourish. But Paul's not speculating like I just did, all right? That, I just speculated. But Paul's not speculating, is he? He's not saying, I hope, I think maybe. No, what Paul is doing is utterly relying on Christ. That's the lesson for us. As we tend to do what I just did. Speculate how things will be. Speculate how things might turn out. Speculate how God might answer my prayer. Speculate how things may go. But Paul's not speculating. Paul is relying upon Christ. And for that, he has a tremendous assurance. And his relying on Christ is grounded in two things. Number one, he says, I know that through your prayers... Through your prayers. You know, nothing proves our utter reliance upon Christ more than when we actually fervently, earnestly pray. When we get to the point that we realize all we can do is pray and there's nothing else to do but pray and everything's out of our hands except prayer, that's when we pray. That's when we truly pray, when we understand that what is before us is actually impossible, that what is before us is actually a mountain that we can't move, but that nothing is impossible with God. And nothing then is more powerful than determined, faithful, fervent prayer. Because in that, the Bible says, the the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Jesus says if you have faith as little as as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be gone, and it will be cast into the sea. Nothing is more powerful than determined, fervent, faithful prayer. Because it's not us who's doing the moving, right? It's God. So Paul says, I know that through your prayer, and here's the second reason he has so much confidence that he's relying on Christ. Y'all still with me? Now don't go to sleep. (laughs) That he's relying on Christ Paul says, through your prayer and the help, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul knows that if he's to be released this particular time from house confinement, it won't be because of the good nature of Rome. It won't be because of some kind of extended mercy. It won't be because his foes have surrendered and they've given up on trying to afflict him. It will be nothing less than the will of Christ. And he will move. 
in mysterious ways, unexpected ways, sometimes unexplainable ways to accomplish his will. Paul is utterly relying on Christ. So he says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. What's he talking about? This. He's talking about that there's some people that are actually trying to hurt me while I'm in prison. Now, what is Paul doing here? Remember the great verse of Christian hope in Romans 8, 28, for, for Paul wrote this verse too. We know that all things work together for good to those who are called by God, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's the theological bedrock truth that you can ground everything in your life upon. That is unshakable, absolute truth. We know all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's the truth. Romans 8.28. In Philippians 1.19, Paul is putting into his life putting into practice in his faith the theological truth of Romans 8:28 I know that this will turn out for my deliverance I know that this all things will turn out for my deliverance work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose you see Theology, doctrine, Bible study is far more than just for gaining knowledge. It's for living. Paul is not sitting in house confinement saying, boy, I'm glad I know the truth of Romans 8.28. He's rejoicing because he knows the truth of Romans 8.28 is true. And somehow, even in this situation he's in, it's going to work for good. As we learn to rely on Christ, we begin to learn that to live is Christ. Paul is relying on Christ. He says so in verse 19, through your prayer and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The second thing that Paul is doing is he is living in allegiance to Christ. So he's not only relying on Christ for every situation in his life, he lives his life with allegiance to Christ. Christ is foremost in his life. And so that's what we find in verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Anything that I'm doing, Christ is going to be honored Paul is saying that's the greatest desire of his life. That's his allegiance. That's my expectation and hope. That's what I'm working for, living for, aspiring to, that Christ is going to be honored in my body, whether I'm living or dead. 
In other words, by how he lives and by how he dies. In his life, Paul is, 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 is determined to honor Christ in his body by suffering well and, and not denying the Lord. Here he is suffering, but he's not denying the Lord. He's not, he's not questioning the faith. He's not doubting his relationship with God. He's not questioning God. He's rejoicing over and over and over. He's rejoicing. He's suffering well and not denying the Lord. In his death, he's, he's determined that in his death, when, that come, when it comes his time to give his life, he will honor Christ in his body by persevering to the end, by believing and rejoicing and holding fast the faith till the end. To his final breath, he will die well. Suffering well, no matter what happens to this body, and dying well, leaving this shell of a body for eternal glory. Paul is living with allegiance to Christ. In other words, his his determined expectation and hope is to magnify Christ. To honor the Lord. But he does say this, doesn't he? In his body. He didn't say in my soul, in my heart, in my prayers, in my worship. But in his body. Sometimes we live as though our faith is kind of restricted to our heart or our soul. And and, and that our faith has little to do with our bodies. But you see, our faith encompasses our whole being, body and soul. Christ came to redeem us all. He took on flesh to redeem our flesh. We will be raised to new life with new glorified bodies. We believe in our hearts, but we live out our faith in our body. It's through our hands and feet and our mouth and our mind that we exercise our faith, that we demonstrate our faith, that we put our faith to action. You see, our faith encompasses our whole being. So now we're, we're, we're not in the situation that Paul was in. He's saying, I'm, I'm in... I'm in house confinement. I'm, I'm, I'm facing life or death here. Now, I know that I'm going to be released this time. But whatever happens, the rest of my life and in my death, I'm going to honor Christ in my body. But we're not in that situation this morning. We may be one day, but we're not this morning. But we do need to answer the question or at least ask it, don't we? How, how do we honor Christ in our bodies? How do we magnify Christ in our bodies? How do we live out our faith with our physical being? How do we live out our spiritual life with our physical life? 1 Corinthians 6 says that our bodies are temples. The Spirit of Christ dwells within us as believers holds residence in our lives. The Spirit of Christ dwells in us, makes his home within us. 
So we really need to ask the question, don't we? Do, do we treat our bodies like sanctuaries or do we treat our bodies like landfills? Are we filled with the rottenness and, and decay of the world or are we filled with the life of Christ? Are we feeding our faith or are we feeding our fleeting pleasures? Are we filled with pornography or are we filled with prayer? Do we use our bodies to to satisfy our, our own earthly sinful pleasures and desires? Or do we keep our bodies pure as a home for Christ, as, as where the Spirit dwells? Do our tongues talk others down or lift Jesus up? Look with me to Romans 6. Where Paul really speaks about our bodies... And using them to magnify and honor the Lord. In Romans 6 verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign. That is have control in your mortal body. So our bodies and what we do with them are really important, isn't it? To make you obey its passions. As a believer, you still can be controlled by sin. Verse 13, do not present your members, that, that is your, your body, your hands, your feet, your mouth, your tongue, your mind, your eyes, your ears. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Live in the resurrection power in which you have been raised. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So that's what I'm talking about. How are we using our bodies for righteousness to magnify and honor Christ? You see, what we do with our bodies reveals where our allegiance lies. It really does say a lot about what's number one in our hearts, what's foremost in our desires, what we're doing with our bodies because what we're doing with our bodies is trying to fulfill that desire. So which desire are we trying to fulfill? A great expectation and hope that Christ would be magnified or that we might be pleased with this temporary fleeting temptation what do we have to do because our desire if we are true believers our desire is to honor the Lord although sometimes we don't with our bodies it requires discipline doesn't it we, we have to discipline our bodies to honor Christ it doesn't take discipline to sin you really don't have to do much to sin as sinners, that kind of comes natural. That, that comes natural to the, the old fleshly ways of our life. 
It goes back to raising children, right? You don't have to teach them to do wrong. You have to teach them to do right. You don't have to teach this body to do wrong. You have to teach it to do right. We have to discipline ourselves. Sin is the easy path, but but to honor the Lord, we have to fight. We, We have to train our minds to think differently. We have to resist sinful inclinations and impulses and reactions and responses. Whether that might be gossip or slothfulness or gluttony or adultery. We have to fight the good fight of faith. We have to fight for it. We have to fight for what we truly believe. And what do we truly believe? What what is the good fight of faith? The, The good fight of faith is this, that we have to fight to believe that what sin has for us is death, but what Christ has for us is life. And that it would actually be better for me to resist this earthly, temporary, sinful pleasure and cling fast to my Lord and Savior Christ for the abundant life that he's given me. What Christ has for me is actually better than what this screen has for me right now. Than what this conversation has for me right now. Than what this attitude has for me right now. Than what this relationship has for me right now. What Christ has for me is better. You have to fight to believe that. You have to really believe that death is on the other side of sin. But life is on the other side of Christ. When we learn allegiance to Christ by honoring him in our bodies, we learn that to live, to really live, is Christ. Sin is a deception. Sin is a delusion. Christ is life. But not only is Paul living in reliance upon Christ and living in allegiance to Christ, the third thing we see is that Paul is living as Christ to others. So in verses 22 through 24, Paul says, if I am to live on in the flesh, that means if if I'm going to go on living, it's going to be for Christ. So you can live in the flesh and live for Christ, To live as Christ, he says, if I am to live on in the flesh, that will mean fruitful labor. That means if God keeps me here, he's got something for me to do. He's got work for me to do, service for me to do, labor for me to do. That will be fruitful. It will be labor. But it will be worth it. It will be fruitful. So Paul says, if, if, I'm, if I'm still here, that just means God has more for me to do. And that's going to be fruitful. Yet, he says, being with Christ, being with Christ is always far better. And that's why he says to die is gain. 
So this is a dilemma for Paul. It's hard to choose. Paul says, it's, I'm, I'm really, it's hard to choose. I cannot tell which one I, I would choose because on the one hand, if you continue living, then that will mean fruitful labor. That's more work. That's more service that I can do to honor and magnify my Savior. And there's nothing I'd rather do in life than honor and magnify my Savior to, to have more fruit because of Christ, what he's done in my life. And that'd be the greatest thing in the world is to be able to to work more for Jesus. However, if you could be with Jesus, not just work for him, but actually dwell with him and be in his presence, there's nothing better than that. That's what I truly long for. That's what we as believers are hoping for and waiting for. How do you choose between serving Jesus and being with him? Well, it comes down to this for Paul, doesn't it? He knew that he still had work to be done for the church, especially the church at Philippi. They were rather still young in the faith, still growing. They were not quite ready to stand on their own and And Paul knew there there was more teaching, there was more encouraging, there was more discipling, there, there, there was more ministry that he had with these believers. So for Paul, the need of the church outweighed his longing of eternal joy. So for Paul, he's saying, you know, being with Christ, that is far better But remaining with you is far better for you. So Paul is living as Christ to others. And that perspective on the Christian life then allows him to say with no qualification at all, for me to live is Christ. Because he's living as Christ to others. If we could learn that, that that this life in Christ is not about us, but it's about them. It's not about me, it's about you. Living as Christ to others for your growth, for your joy. And the fourth point is this, living that others may glory in Christ. So not only is he personally living as Christ to others, but he's living as Christ to them in such a way that they will give Christ glory. They will glory in Christ. We see that in verses 25 and 26. Paul says he he needs to be with them a little longer so that they will progress in their faith and that they will joy in their faith. That's what Paul wants to see. He, he knows my, my ministry is not done until you are actively growing in Christ. And as you are actively growing in Christ, your joy is clearly in the Lord. Paul knew that, that growing in the Lord is just as essential as coming to the Lord. 
And we need to hear that. Paul was not satisfied. He wasn't done in his ministry when people came to Christ and were baptized. He said, no, I I am convinced of this, doesn't he? I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress in the faith. That's absolutely essential. Just like it is for a newborn baby. It's, 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 what, what a celebration when a, when, a, when a new baby is born. But that's not it, is it? It's not over at that point, is it? Our joy continues as we see that child grow and develop and mature and learn. And for us especially, come to know the Lord, his self or herself. And So it, it's not done just because they were born We want to see them grow. Church, it's not done just because your child was born again. It's not done just because you you have a testimony of way back when. It's It's never done. Salvation is never done. Growth is absolutely essential. Paul knew it. And when, it's, when, when our faith in Christ is growing even through hardship and persecution, it's always accompanied with unshakable joy. That's why Paul, where he's at, even though he's, he's where he's at, he can't stop talking about joy throughout this book. Paul has learned something even being under arrest and in persecution, he knows that something is absolutely sure for those who are growing in the faith. And what's absolutely sure is joy in the Lord. And he doesn't want them to miss that. So convinced of that, that they still need that progress in the faith, he says, I, I'm gonna, God's going to keep me here a little while longer. I want to help you learn what I've learned. You see, Paul knew if he didn't make it back to these new, thriving believers, this young, growing church, they, they, might be, they might grow disillusioned in their young faith. I mean, they have prayed for Paul. They have given for Paul. And, and if, he, if he returns to them, they, they will see their faith alive. They will see their prayers answered. They will see God moving mountains And because their faith is alive and in action, they will glory in Christ Jesus. Paul says, through my coming to you again, you will glory in Christ Jesus. And for Paul, that's living. If I can see my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, glory in Christ Not in the things of this world, but in in Christ and in the joy of the Lord. If I can see them, that's living. That's fulfilling, satisfying life. Seeing others happy in Jesus. Living that others may glory in Christ. Church, this is how we learn to live is Christ. 
relying on Christ, allegiance to Christ, living as Christ to others, and living that others may glory in Christ. That's the abundant life Jesus was talking about. I get the feeling that many times myself and many times many of us in the Christian life are merely existing. We're merely just going through the schedule. We're merely just kind of moving along. And there's no thriving There's no excitement. There's no passion. There's no joy. There's no expectation. Somehow along the line, our life became something other than Christ. And as empty as that leaves us, we just keep glutting ourselves on it. As if eventually... If we stuff ourselves to death with this, we'll finally get happy with this world. We are not of this world. This world is not our home. You will never be happy here with just this. Saved or unsaved. So where do you find it? Christ. Christ. That's why he came. That's why we have Advent. That's why we light trees. He came because we were dead. And if you don't get him, you stay dead. He came to make you alive he came to raise us up in him so the point is when he raises us up in him don't leave him don't leave him in the manger he came to give you life abundantly for to me to live is christ may that be our life verse let's pray Father, some of us in this very place need to be resurrected to new life right here, right now. We've played church, we've gone through the motions, we've said this, we've done this, but we've never been born again, and that's what we need. We need to lay aside everything else. We need to not worry about what anybody else thinks, and this day we just need to give our life to you and find out what Paul's talking about here. So if that is us, God, would you miraculously move and bring new life? Draw us to yourself by faith in Christ. And some of us, Father, have been resurrected to life, but but we've climbed back in that grave that you brought us out of. So, Father, we need to to get right back out of where you've already... brought us and and remember that real living true joy real life is in christ so we need a a, a renewed faith a refreshing of our faith 
Whatever it might be in our lives, Father, however you are speaking, encouraging us or convicting us or challenging us or, or, or giving us hope and assurance, however you are speaking to our hearts, may we, may we this day right here, right now, make the most of this Christmas season by making the most of Christ in our life. Help us, God, to understand, to not leave this place, not leave this moment until we can say, for to me, to live is Christ. Father, may it be so. We ask in your precious name. Amen.